Praise the Lord. Well, let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Can we pray one more thing? And uh, Robin, if you're recording, don't put this on a recording. I'd just like to pray as a body and get this off of my heart so I can be free to focus on the message. Amen and amen. So uh, thank you. I appreciate that greatly. And uh, really kind of fun to be able to, to uh, know that your faith is with me. Not Fun might not be the right word, but encouraging. Amen. So that's the life of faith. Let's, let's look here in Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 12, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 12 says that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Don't you just love that word slothful? You, you probably use it in your vocabulary every other, every other day. Slothful. <laughs> I mean, it's one we should resurrect. We should bring it back. Although I know I've had, I think I have applied it to my children on one or two occasions, but that's because you know, you try to stay biblical. Amen. Slothful. We know we have the sloth, which is that animal that moves really slow. Actually, a more modern translation actually might be sluggish. Dull or indifferent, the Amplified reads. Uh, actually, in uh, chapter 5, the word's only used twice in the New Testament. It's used in chapter 5, verse 11. And Paul used the word dull of hearing. It's slothful. Or sluggish of hearing. In other words, something's slow, something's not making it through. Well, we're not supposed to be that way. That you be not slothful. But, what's the opposite to this in, in its context? But followers of them, or those, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, year, some years ago, literally many years ago, I think it would have been 88, perhaps 1989. I was preaching in Washington, D.C. And it was one of these occasions where the Lord didn't give me the sermon until I stood up. I don't always like it when he does that because sometimes, you know, it, it reveals your, your uh, insecurities. I was in a, uh, a meeting uh, that was being attended by the founders and sponsors of a ministry in Washington, D.C., that uh, everyone in that room, you know, the clothes they were wearing were, you know, ten times more expensive than the clothes I was wearing. The cars they drove were ten times more expensive than the car I drove. You know, their uh, education, you know, they all had... Uh, the, the must, most of them had probably were farmers because at the end of their name it said post hole digger, Ph.D. Isn't that what that means? <laughs> and I remember as they came in and I was introduced to them, well, this is the president of the C.S. Lewis Foundation, uh, Dr. Art Lindsley, you know, I'm thinking, you know, doctor, that, that's, that's pretty impressive. C.S. Lewis, yeah, I've heard of him. You know, remember another one was uh, the, the, one of the top leader at the time, Ronald Reagan, had what was called the Star Wars Project. He was the leader of the Star Wars Project, you know, so I'm like trembling in my shoes and I didn't have a sermon. And uh, quite honestly, I was looking for a way out. I, I did not want to be in that room. I, 
Today it'd be fun. I've changed. But then I was young. I was very insecure in that sense and didn't think I belonged there. Didn't think I had anything to say that was of value. And uh, literally went out on a fire escape to find a place to pray, like we have the room back here to pray, the only place because the house was packed. I went out onto a, uh, the apartment, went out on this fire escape to pray, and while I'm out there praying on the fire escape, saw that I could escape if I so chose. <laughs> and the thought ran through my mind, you know. And But the Lord encouraged me, and actually as the woman came late that was to lead the worship, Everyone in that room, by the way, there wasn't a tongue talker among them. Most of them were Episcopalians, Catholics, Methodists, all, all of these other varieties and species of which, you know, weren't usually receptive to me. And uh, uh, this woman came in with the guitar and she came out onto the, the you know, not knock to come out and go over the song list with me. And when, as soon as I looked at her, I just took encouragement because here was a worshiper and 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 uh, she she actually leaned in and says are you holy ghost <laughs> i said yes i am i'm holy ghost and she got a big grin on her face and she said finally and so i think well it's just somebody like that that was praying to get me in there i guess you know so with that encouragement we did we we worshiped oh worship's so important so important to move in the spirit and while we were worshiping, the Lord gave me the sermon. And I'd never preached it before. And I'd never seen it before. Even though I had the verse memorized. That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. I had it memorized, but I'd never seen what it said. One of the reasons I never saw what it said is because I preached a, a part of it. I always preached the end. Through faith and patience, you inherit the promises. And I'd preached that several times, you know. Uh, now, again, this was the beginning of my ministry, so maybe not dozens and dozens, but more than once, I had preached that, you know, through faith plus patience, that equals receiving the promises. And that was my sermon. Well, that's good for, for a, for a principled-based sermon, but it's not what the verse says. And I stood up in front of these people and I said, you know, what the verse says is, who are you following? He said, don't be slothful, but follow. See, the thing about not being slothful isn't to tell yourself, I'm not going to be slothful anymore. It's to start following somebody. The, the cure to slothfulness is to follow the right person or people. And who is it we're to follow? But be followers of those who through faith and patience receive the promises. In other words, the faith and patience and receiving the promises somebody else has received. Now who is that? Follow that person. Who do we follow? The one who's received. Amen? And so I introduced it up to about this point in this group of about 20, maybe 30 people. And I made the statement, it came out of my spirit, not out of my head, because once it came off of my lips, I wanted to take it back. Because what came out of my spirit was, if you want to be healed, stop following women in wheelchairs. And I thought, my ministry's over. <laughs> because Curran at the time was a very famous woman in a wheelchair who was their hero. 
And uh, later, put a pause there, later in talking to somebody about that, they mentioned that. You know, they said, uh, you know, that was a little bit, a little bit uh, insensitive to that woman in the wheelchair. And I said, no. I said, that was sensitive to all those others in the wheelchair without any hope. And I pointed to a man who was with me who had been told by the doctors he would never get out of a wheelchair. And yet there he was standing and walking because he'd received the healing power of God. So no, I'm not here. I wasn't there then and I'm not here now to insult anyone in a wheelchair. But I am here boldly to say, if you want to be healed, don't follow a woman in a wheelchair. If you want to be healed, you want to follow someone who got out of the wheelchair. And yet what we do is we magnify the negative. And we'll study and we'll say, why wasn't this person healed? And so we'll preach sermons on why they weren't healed. I don't want to know why they weren't healed. I want to know why they were healed. He didn't say be a follower of those who don't receive. He said be a follower of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And, and following someone who has achieved something is common sense and the whole world does it. You know, in 1954, most of you weren't here then, some of you were, but in 19, how many of you were here in 1954? In 1954, a guy named Roger Bannister broke the world record and ran the mile in three minutes, 59 seconds, point four tenths. I believe that's right. Am I right? 1950, he's, he's on his phone. I figured he's checking me out. Oh, he's not. <laughs> he's, he's sending hearts and smileys to his wife. Anyhow, in 1954, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. Everyone had wanted to do it, but no one had done it. And he did it in three, can you imagine that? Three minutes, 59 seconds, and four tenths. Now, I remember in high school in football, I could never break the five-minute mile. That was my goal. But I was five minutes, six seconds, or 5.6. Five, five minutes, yeah, five minutes, six seconds. I could never break the five-minute mile. We had three guys on our football team broke the five-minute mile. You know, it was in the four-minute something. I couldn't do it. Man, you just run and train and you just kill yourself trying to break that. Could never do it. Could never do it. And here's this guy running in three minutes and 59 seconds. That's fast. I mean, I don't know if he was running down a cliff in the Grand Canyon. How, how, what, what was it? He got that fast. But here's the thing. His record lasted for 46 days. In 46 days, they broke his record. And I think, I, 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 not, and I know that was 46 days, but I don't remember, but within a year, there was a whole group of people that broke the four-minute mile. Why? Because they were following someone who did it. Achievement is what you want to follow. You don't want to magnify the negative. And there's a lot of people, they'll get up to that wall and they'll say, well, I can't do it, I can't do it, and I'm going to go study all the others that couldn't do it. <laughs> what? The world would laugh at that, right? I don't care if there's only one person been healed. That's what I'm going to study. I want to, I want to follow the one who through faith and patience inherits the promises. And who you follow will determine how you think. 
It'll determine your associations. It'll determine everything involved. In sales, I got into sales when I was uh, out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I got into sales, uh, and, and it was in photography. And we were doing direct sales, going to people's houses. And fortunately, they'd call and make a reservation. It wasn't like going up and knocking on the doors. But some people have done that. I never did that. But I'd go in, and I'd go into their home or their apartment, and I'd make a presentation, and I'd try to sell this photography package. And in the first month or two, I couldn't sell nothing. I mean, I was going broke. There was no results at all. And every day I would go to the sales office and we'd have teaching and everything and pick up supplies. And I'd go in there and sit down right as you went into this office building. There was a nice little cafeteria with coffee and donuts. And, and I'd sit down there and we'd all sit down there and, and complain about how hard it was. Complain about how impossible it is. Complain that they're not paying us enough. They don't give us, they don't vet the customers well enough. We're just never going to make it. And we'd sit there and drink our coffee, eat our donuts and complain. And every once in a while, I'd watch this one guy go through, and he never stopped at our table. His name was Don. And Don would go in, and then when we'd have the meetings, Don was always the top salesman. He always got the prizes because they'd give bonuses. And, and Don was making money. And I'm sitting there thinking, something's wrong with this. And I finally realized I'm going to starve if I don't change something I'm doing. So I finally uh, skipped the donut table and followed Don into the office and I literally cornered him in the supply closet and I, and I said, hi, my name's Dale, I'm your new best friend. <laughs> it's exactly how I introduced myself to him. And he says, that's nice. And I said, well, I said, uh, you, you, you know some things I don't know and I'm going to find out. And I just stuck to him like a bug and I begged. I begged until they finally sent me out with him. He didn't want to take me because I wasn't successful. But we would travel out into a five-state region and go and book a hotel room. And I spent time with him until guess what started happening? I started selling. By the way, Don got born again. He, 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 he got paid through that deal, through that transaction. Amen. And uh, Terry got to meet him years later. But uh, that's just a simple law, isn't it? Who you associate with. Are you going to hang around with ones that aren't receiving or are you going to follow the one who is receiving? And if you'll determine to follow the one who's receiving, you'll begin to catch on to some things. You'll certainly learn that through faith and patience you inherit the promises. But you'll learn it in a discipleship situation. You want to learn how to pray? Find someone that knows how to pray. Knock on their door and say, hi, I'm your new best friend. Amen. And then and, and they say, well, go away. You say, no. you say, well, the Bible says you have to love me. I know that much. <laughs> Amen. Be Don't be slothful, but be a follower of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. One th then what you'll do is you'll begin to see how other people are applying the word of God in circumstances. And, and, and you'll begin to assimilate that into your own life and you'll begin to do it now turn with me to hebrews 11 you won't receive faith by following people but you will be encouraged and learn how to apply faith by following people if you follow the right people but most people 
and I, maybe I shouldn't say most, many people get so hung up on the negative and they're looking at the wrong things that they get overwhelmed. But you've got to learn the first few principles of faith is it's, it's about what you're looking at. Look here in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance. That word substance, by the way, is the same word in chapter 1 that refers to Jesus and His reflecting God. Jesus is the, 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 the hypostasis is the Greek word. And that is the very substance of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. So faith is this real representation of your hope and of what you can't see as Jesus Himself is of the Father God. That's saying it really strong. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. That substance is used, that word is used to describe how Jesus accurately is the image or the stamp of God. So my faith, your faith, is as much the substance of what you hope for as Jesus is the very substance of God. Faith is real. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of things not seen. Now, if it's the evidence of things not seen, then you must be able to see faith. How could something not seen be evidence of things not seen? That's a double negative. So if it's the evidence of things not seen, then you must be able to see faith. And when you follow people of faith, that's one of the things you'll begin to see, is you'll begin to see faith. Now Jesus, when they tore a hole in the roof, and they started letting this man down into the crowd, the Bible says, and Jesus saw their faith. It's interesting, it didn't say Jesus saw the man. It's interesting, it didn't say that Jesus saw those that were helping him. Jesus saw their faith. Paul, when he was preaching in the book of Acts, there was a man laying in front of him who had never walked. But that same man heard Paul preach. And while Paul was preaching, the Bible says, and Paul perceived that the man had faith to be healed. See, if faith is the evidence of what you can't see, you must be able to see faith. And if you can't see it, well, it's not there. Amen. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5. Let's look at verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. So faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of something you can't see. And we walk by faith, not by sight. See, this is really where most of us get tripped up. Is What are we looking at? Are we looking at the unseen or are we looking at the seen? Paul said we don't walk by sight. Amen? Now he's not talking about, you know, I'm going to close my eyes while I drive because I drive by faith and not by sight. He's not talking about crossing the street. You know, I cross the street by faith. I don't cross the street by sight. So I'm going to just cross the street. He's not talking in nonsensical terms. He's drawing an illusion 
to the fact that faith isn't in the sense realm. That faith is giving substance to things hoped for. It's evidence of things not seen. There's some seeing to do in that realm, in the unseen realm. Most people will say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. No, the Bible reverses that. You believe it first, then you see it. Jesus said to Mary and Martha at the tomb of Lazarus, didn't I say to you, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. David said in Psalms 27, he said, I had, I had fainted or given up, except I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen. I like that verse because I was raised in a denomination that was everything was about the, the sweet by and by and the hereafter and the blessings always came after death. It's good to know there's some blessings in life. Amen. Oh, there's lots of blessings in heaven. Thank God for that. But there's also blessings in the rotten here and now. The sweet, sweet by and by is sweet, but it's the rotten here and now that needs a little spice, right? It needs a little, little fix them ups. Amen. Y'all here, you're going home. All right. So then let's go over to uh, Hebrews 11. Even Moses walked in this to a degree, uh, or it's brought out to a degree. Hebrews 11. I'm sure he walked in it a lot. Recognizing there's an unseen realm. Back here in Hebrews 11 where it refers to Moses. I like this. Verse 27. He said, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. See, one of the, the, the Bible brings out that Moses had the ability to endure through faith and patience. We inherit the promises. And it was linked to what he was looking at. But we walk by faith, not by sight. So he's not talking about what you see in the natural. But it's what you see in the Spirit. It's by faith. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. Evidence of things not seen. You can see into that realm. Faith is the ability to see the invisible, the things which are not seen. Let's go with me to uh, 2 Corinthians 4. What you're looking at determines so much of what you receive. Let's look in Roman, or 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. For which cause we faint not, Moses endured. Remember that. Moses didn't faint. He didn't quit. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, that means our physical body, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. How many of you that were here in 1954, if you, if you are conscious of your inner self, you're just as young as you were when you were eight years old, out picking wildflowers to give to your mama? It's the same, same spirit, right? Our, our, and it's good to talk to old people to know, you know, for you young people to know it, that when you get old, your, your spirit doesn't get old. Amen. You're just as precocious when you're 80 as you are, were when you were eight. Because your spirit's alive. Amen. For though our outward man perish, the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction. Now remember, the man that wrote this had been beaten, starved, jailed, imprisoned, shipwrecked. He had a long list of nasty things. 
I like what he said. Our light affliction. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now that's where most people stop. And they begin to magnify, glorify, and talk about their troubles. You ever met somebody that loves to talk about their problems? Don't follow them. <laughs> Just a clue. Don't follow them. There's, 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 there's some sense of, of uh, selfishness in it and, and, and trying to bring attention to oneself. Complaining and glorifying in my affliction. No, don't stop there. The sentence goes on. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen. See, when you stop looking at the unseen and you keep your eyes on the scene, this principle doesn't work for you. You can't claim this principle. When Paul said our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. You've got to have an eye to see the invisible for this principle to work for you. But when you turn your eye onto the sense realm, the physical realm, and you magnify that when you walk by sight and not by faith, when you see those things around you, that's when you're, you're going to faint. Or as Moses, you're not going to endure. Moses didn't look at the trouble that he was going through and then endured. He looked and he saw him who is invisible. He, he, he saw the reward in the verse before that, actually, in Hebrews. And he was willing to, to continue because he saw that reward. So what you see will determine... In, in, in the greatest measure, what benefit you receive. And this light affliction, which is but for a moment, people say, well, you know, when you go through hard times, it, it's really good for you. Well, yes and no. It's good for you if you are looking at the right thing. But if you go through it looking at the wrong thing, that hard time will make you bitter. That hard, that, that, that hard situation will, will close you up emotionally. Come on. It's not the experience that makes you who you are. It's what you do when you're going through it that makes you who you are. It's what you look at. I know uh, I need to find his name. There was a, a, a man who wrote about survivors of the Holocaust. He was a, one himself. And he made, it might have been Eli Weisel, but he made the observation that righteous men went in and evil men came out. And evil men went in and righteous men came out. Isn't that interesting? That these men subjected to the same sufferings actually had different responses. What does that tell us? It's not the experience that creates you. It's not your experience. I'm going I'm to keep pushing on this because this is where people don't allow... Faith to become operative in their life because they're too hung up on their experiences. You are not a product of your experiences. You're a product of how you responded in your experiences. 
If an evil man could go into Auschwitz and come out a righteous man, and a righteous man could go into Auschwitz and come out an evil man, to me that's pretty pretty hard testimony right there. But above that we have what Paul said right here. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us. A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Your problems actually become the water that raises the cork. Pushing you up. While we look not at the things which are seen. Because if you keep looking at the things which are seen, you're going you're gonna to get the wrong message. You're going to have the wrong effect. No, no. You've got to look at the unseen. Amen. Which is the role of faith in our life. Amen. What you look at so turns your whole destiny. And you need to see in such a way as not to be uh, uh, affected, but to effect. Look uh, with me to Romans chapter 4. Verse 17. I need to read the whole chapter to get the context, but this is testimony of Abraham's faith and the role that faith plays in the fact that Abraham is actually the father of faith and he's the father of us all. And in, in, in Romans, Paul, in verse 17, begins to quote what's written in the, in the uh, Genesis where God says, as it's written, I, may, I have made thee a father of many nations. So he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. I have made you a father of many nations. He didn't say, Abraham, one day you're going to be a father of many nations. He said, I have made you the father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, or like unto him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. I found out by following a person of faith that I was doing it exactly backwards. I was calling things which are as though they are not. I wasn't using faith. I was in denial. No, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. Bless God, I'm not sick. That's not faith. That's not calling things which be not as though they were. That's calling things that are as though they are not. It's backwards. And denial's not faith. God called Abraham the father of many nations. He called things which be not as though they were. He saw into the invisible and declared that which he desired. And it was so. And, and that substance is as real as Jesus is the substance of the Father. When He said, you're the Father of many nations, I have made you the Father of many nations by faith, because you couldn't see it. What did Abraham see? He saw an old man. He saw a barren wife. No children. That's what he saw in the natural could he have continued to see in the natural? Sure. But he considered not. He, he decided there's certain things I'm not going to look at. Amen? 
Now read on. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm not making this up. Verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, what? He considered not his own body, now dead. He was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Amen. See, there's certain things you don't want to look at. He considered not his own body, now dead, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. That doesn't roll into this. That doesn't factor into this. If God said it, I'm going to look at what God said. Now, people say, well, that's just powerful faith. Quite honestly, I don't think that's as powerful as what he did when God said, go to the mountain uh, and, and sacrifice your son, your only begotten son, Isaac, upon the mountain that I show you. And he takes Isaac to that mountain and, and, and he leaves his servants at the base of the mountain and he says, stay here. Me and the lad, we're going to go up there and worship and I and the lad, we will return. That statement to me is even stronger than not looking at a hundred-year-old body, not looking at a barren wife, but looking at, according to the book of Hebrews, that I'm going to go up on that mountain. According to the book of Hebrews, what he saw was resurrection. I'm going to go up on that mountain, kill my son, and burn him into ash, and then out of those ashes, my son is going to be raised up. Now that's faith. And you don't get that by looking in the natural. But look in the Spirit. Amen? He didn't consider. There's certain things you've got to stop considering. And the way to stop considering it is to consider something else. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Just like with your thought life, you can't make thoughts stop. Don't do that. But replace a thought with a higher thought. Having problems with with uh, depression, you need to capture your thinking and think other thoughts. Well, how do I do that? What I had to do, I had to speak it out loud. There's a, I learned the lesson that if I say it out loud, I have got to get my mind's attention. I would play sermons, but I'd have to turn them up real loud because if I'd play them low in the background, I'd start thinking louder than the cassette player. So I'd turn them up real loud. Or I would read a book out loud and pace the floor just so my mind would shut up. But I would, you can't tell your mind, don't think that, don't think that, don't think that. Because every time you are done saying, don't think that, it just goes out like a yo-yo, comes back and slaps you in the face. Or you roll over in bed and there it is again. And you say, no, I'm not going to think about that. And you roll over in bed and there it is again. Now you need to get out of bed, pace the floor, lift your hands and replace it with a greater thought. In the same way, you're considering something in the natural. You're looking at something. you got to look into the unseen realm. You do it by faith. You do it by faith, which is based on the Word of God. So your imagination is filled with failure. you got to fill your imagination with success from the Word of God. And that success motivation will come out, out of meditating on the Word. Meditating uh, on, on, on what God's Word says. Stop looking at the natural and begin to look 
at the promises and begin to see what God sees. Amen. And begin to increase. Because faith grows. You start by calling things which be not as though they were. So you look and you, you have to create an image. When I dealt with a young fellow when he was, he was younger, he's older than me, but he was younger. Uh, and he was, he was uh, being put back into it. He actually got out of the wheelchair and the doctors were threatening to put him back in a wheelchair. And he, he was in it for a little while. And he was asking me about it. He said, what would you do if you were confined in a wheelchair? I said, I'd probably subscribe to Runner's Magazine. See, if you close your eyes and you have an image, everybody has an image of themselves. That's why we are scared in the morning when we look in the mirror. I mean, it still spooks me. Every morning I get up, it's not the guy I see, you know. I, I, I see a young Robert Redford, but he ain't staring out at me anymore. I don't know about you see, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I still got quarantine hair, man. I'm, I, I look in the mirror and I look, I, I'm thinking more about the mad scientist from Back to the Future. <laughs> Thank God I don't have to look at it. Praise the Lord. But you have a mental image of yourself. You see yourself a certain way. And you need to begin to see yourself walking, not confined to a wheelchair. Most people, they, they, they close their eyes and have an honest assessment of how they see themselves. People that struggle with their weight, they see themselves overweight. They see themselves sick. They see themselves losing their job, not getting a promotion. So you have inner images on the inside of you. When I was a, and, and, and no one has to teach you how to do this. People say, well, that's, that's that deep art of meditation. Well, it, it can be called meditation or it can be called worry. Amen. Because, I mean, I, I prefer meditation. Some people, my English teacher always called it daydreaming because I would do a lot of it in her class. I'd be off in deep meditation. They called it daydreaming. But I am meditating on intercepting the football, busting through a couple tackles and making a touchdown. In vivid color, in my mind. And it, in, and it captures you. And you're engrossed by it, right? Why? Because I slept with a football. I did. I slept with a football. I, I, I wanted to be able to reach out and grab it. Why? Because I wasn't very good at catching it. I was real good at fumbling it. I was a linebacker. You're supposed to be able to catch them. And, and uh, so I, I slept with a football. And so you dream. And you don't dream about failure. No 10-year-old boy about running all the way and on the five-yard line he stumbles and falls and fumbles. What does he dream? He dreams about victory. And do you chastise him? You better stop dreaming that way, son. Life's not that way. You don't do that. You inspire him. So when you... Maybe you stop dreaming. If you close your eyes and I say, now imagine yourself in... Go ahead and do it. Close your eyes. Now imagine yourself driving a new car. I guarantee everybody in here is in a different car. Right? Some of you, it's a new used car. <laughs> Hello? 
Some of you, it's a big van so you can get all your kids in it. Some of you, you got lots of kids and you just saw yourself in a sports car with two seats. <laughs> Both, I, I might pick that up in the spirit, I guess. No, it's because I've been there. You're, follow me. <laughs> but let me ask you a question. If, if, what determined that image you saw? You got that image from somewhere. How come your image is different than mine? And if faith gives substance to things hoped for, your faith's going to work on that image you saw, not on my image. Can you change the image? Most certainly you can change the image. That's why God made refrigerators. So you could put the picture up on your refrigerator. <laughs> and it's the one place he knew you was going to look. A couple times a day. Right? I mean, it works. It's right there on the fridge. That's where I like it. I told my wife, put that up on the fridge. I like that. I did. That's why I preached on it. Saw it as soon as I got up this morning. <laughs> you can change your image. It's nothing wrong. You close your eyes. Did it, and, and, and I said, imagine yourself driving a new car. Some of you might have imagined, you know, that old, that old uh, clunky old truck on, on uh, the Beverly Hillboys, Billy's. You remember that one? Some of you don't even know the Beverly Hillbillies. Dear Lord, i got to find new examples. It's just this old jalopy, you know, barking out smoke and coughing and, and you know, shake, shaking as it goes down the roads. Maybe that's your idea of a new car. It's not my idea of a new car. But it might be new to you. But you have, a, you have an image. Now, can you improve that image? Yeah. But at some point, at some point, you improve that image, and there's better cars, you'll feel something in your spirit that's out of place. It's called stretching. I remember <laughs> Terry and I, uh, God told us to go to Moscow. Now, I love Terry so much, and one of the reasons I love her is she has always been a model to me of instant obedience. When God says do something, literally the next morning, she's packing. I walk into the kitchen, and she's putting stuff in boxes. And I'm like, come on! <laughs> We're not leaving tomorrow, you know? Well, we might as well get this done, you know? She's immediately acting. Me, I'm like trying to figure out the whole picture first. I got to see the whole big thing, all of it. And I've got to reconcile the fact that I just had a miracle and a guy made handmade oak bookshelves in my office where I've got my 5,000 books and God said i got to leave. I just got this miracle. And now i got to walk away and give it to somebody else. You know, it's not like leaving my home or my parents or my relatives into my bookshelves. <laughs> That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? Man. <laughs> you, get, you get really wacky. But anyhow, where was I? So we, I went over, and uh, I, I went over early to go through some language training and to get an apartment for the family. So I fly into Moscow. See, I didn't know anybody in Moscow. Because for, for 10 years, 
I would get into Moscow just to get a connecting plane to go into Siberia or other countries. I didn't know anybody in Moscow except the manager of the Radisson Slavyanskaya Hotel. And I'm not going to stay at the Radisson for a year, right? So I got to find an apartment. I had no clue. Well, the first things that somebody... You know, when God tells you to do something, expect the devil to challenge it immediately. One of the first things I learned, someone came up to me, sort of like a woman gets pregnant, her first child, she doesn't know what's going to happen. The first old woman's going to get in your face and tell you how horrible it is. All right? Just just take, take your, your grass clippers and clip the horns off of her head and send her packing. Don't listen to horror stories, ladies. Oh, you women miss it. You get a chance to praise the Lord. The devil does that. And the Lord said, go to Moscow. And the first person that came to me brought to my attention that according to one of these financial magazines, Moscow is the most expensive city in the world. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. So I went to Moscow and found out it's the most expensive city in the world. I'm looking, I finally, every realtor I met saw me as a rich American, so I couldn't, they wouldn't show me anything that was less than like five, six thousand a month for an efficiency apartment. I'm looking at a five thousand dollar a month apartment, you know, the kind where the bed, you pull it down from the wall, and we got three boys, five grand a month. And I'm like freaking out. I'm, I, and I looked, I looked, I asked, I prayed, I. I, I couldn't find anywhere to live. I came home. If I looked at what I could see, I am defeated. And we had one conversation that lasted about three minutes. Well, maybe God meant Russia. Maybe there's another city we could live in. But he didn't say Russia. You know how I'm talking about? You, you start, that's called the flesh. It's sort of like, well, God said, Father of a nation, you know, look at, look at my maid. She's young. Maybe I could have a, you know, maybe we could fix this. Right? It's called the flesh. Don't do it. Stay away from your maid and, and stay focused on what God tells you to do. Amen. Good advice. Yeah, you ladies also missed another opportunity. Ah. <laughs> she got it. One woman got it in the whole crowd. All right. Um. <laughs> So I came home and Terry and I, we had, no, no, God said Moscow. So we got refocused and I, and we had this long conversation. I remember we were laying in bed and we'd been talking through all this. And I said, honey, I said, what do you want in your new apartment? We got to see it. We got to release our faith. We, you know, hello, I can't get it in the natural. I got to stop looking in the physical. If I keep looking in the physical, I'm sleeping on the street. So I got to believe God. So I said, honey, what do you want in your new apartment? And she says, and I don't know if it's because she was tired and almost asleep or if she was just humoring me, but she says, you know, I've always wanted a jacuzzi. I, I just bust out laughing. I had just been in an apartment for 5000 a month with a bed that slammed up against the wall and will kill you if, you, if you're not careful. And she wants a jacuzzi. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> I start laughing. I am laughing because it is funny. And she gets into it and says, well, honey, what do you want in your apartment? And I said, well, if you're going that route, I want high-speed internet. Now, you've got to understand, this is 2000? This is, not, this is 2000, yeah. This is 2000. There was no high-speed internet even in the... Well, in the university in Moscow had high-speed internet brought to the university. There was no high-speed internet. It didn't exist. All right? Not that you had to pay for it. It wasn't like a jacuzzi. Those still exist. You just got to pay for it. No, it, it's not there. But I want high-speed internet. And so then she's laughing and I'm laughing. We're having a good belly laugh. Thank you, Lord, for our new apartment. And this is something I learned. Mark my words now. We started praising the Lord. What did, what did uh, Abraham do? He didn't consider his own body. But what did he do? He was strong in faith. What did he do? Giving what? Giving glory to God. So we started worshiping the Lord in bed. Thank you, Lord, for our new apartment. And for the rest of the time, whenever it would come up into my mind, because it would try to come up in my mind, where are you going to live? Where are you going to live? What are you going to do? You're going to be a failure. Everyone's going to look at you as a failure. What are you going to do? It would come up in my mind. I would stop and I'd say, thank you, Lord, for our new apartment in Moscow. And so that was my confession. That was Terry's confession. And... Uh, Finally, I was led to stay up late, and I just decided I'm going to have to take my Russian dictionary. I'm going to sit down on my laptop, and I'm wondering, because the Internet's starting to get popular, maybe they're posting private apartments, and I'll cut out the realtor. So instead of five grand, we'll find out. Maybe I can deal with, you know, the people. So I'm looking through all this stuff, and, 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 and I'm not I'm sending out emails I didn't get any response from the, I don't know how many lots of emails I sent out. Never got a response from any of them, probably because my Russian was so bad. But all of a sudden, looking through this classifieds, right in the center of the screen, everything's in Russian, and I'm having to interpret. After a while, you get to understand what the common words, how they describe it, all that good stuff, and the prices, and they're really expensive. Right in the center is, a, is a, an apartment for rent in English. And I literally wiped my eyes like, you know, maybe it's a Holy Ghost translating. You know, you can do that now with your phone. I just, I think that is so cool. I can point my phone at a sign and it changes. It's like, wow, the world is open. Anyhow, uh, I got six minutes. I can do it in Jesus' name. So I write him an email. She, she has no faith in me. She just said, probably not. She just ruined the whole thing. I'm going to be here. I'm going to go long now. It's her fault. So, <laughs> can't be in agreement with her husband. My goodness. So, I email this guy in English, you know. Hey, I want, you know, I'm, I'm interested in your apartment. He happened, because of the time difference, he was in his office. So, he is like doing text messages back and forth. He emails me. I email him. And, uh. It was five grand a month. I'll give it to you for five grand a month. See, and uh, I'm like, well, uh, I'm still looking at other options, which I had none, but I'm looking. And uh, he says, well, and we're talking, you know, over the email. He says, uh, well, if you're coming in, why don't you, you're going to be there a week. 
uh, why don't you stay at the apartment? That way you'll know if you like it and the region. And it's okay if you find a better deal. You know, that's, that's fine. It's an empty apartment. I'll just let you stay there. So that's a blessing because I was going to be stuck in a hotel for a week. So praise God, that's really nice of you. You're going to let me stay in the apartment for free for a week while I hunt for other apartments. I understand it's a sales gimmick. He wants me to, you know, it's pretty smart for him. Cool deal for me. I'm going to stay in this expensive apartment and look for more. So I get there. He sends his driver to pick me up at the airport. He's a lawyer, an American lawyer in Moscow. And uh, Terry loved this driver. We called him CBK. Cold-blooded killer. <laughs> yeah, you start, you start with a guy about, about, about Jake's size, maybe a little bit bigger, and you dress him in black. Black leather that creaks when he moves. And then you got to put this look on his face, and, he, and CBK, no other word. That's just, he is the CBK. And uh, so the CBK picks me up at the airport, drives me to the apartment, and Derek, the, the, the landlord, the lawyer, is there to meet me. So I get to meet him, and a uh, real nice guy. And uh, we get in the elevator. It's on the 20th floor, and he begins to explain. Uh, as we're walking into the building, and he showed me, actually showed me around the park area. It was very green. And he said, uh, I had this built, specced out myself. And what I did is I actually bought two apartments. And we put them together. So it's the largest apartment in the building. And I put all of my money into it because my wife and my two boys were going to live there with me. And uh, my wife just ran off with another man. So we're getting, we're going through a divorce and, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, have any reason to, I don't want to stay there. So that's why I'm renting it, just so you know. And, uh, then we get in the elevator and he said, uh, you know, my wife, cause my wife's going to be there and because we have this huge expanse, we redid the bathroom. I don't know if it's important to you or not, but my wife wanted a jacuzzi. And they, I'm still in the elevator from, from ground floor to 20th. And I said, really? And he says, yeah. And the next thing out of his mouth. And he said, you know, and I, and I work for the law firm, and, they, and I do work from the house. And so they, they wanted me to have high-speed Internet. So they mounted a satellite dish on the adjoining building, and it's literally pointed into the window of my apartment. So I have high-speed Internet. If, you, if you're interested in that, I can, you know, I'll give you all the passwords for the week and everything. In the conversation. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? How do I get out of this? I have painted myself into this. I can't. Five grand a month? Ha! There ain't no way. So I go in, and he gives me the tour. It had a fireplace on a 20th floor. Now, do try to be careful with the wood floor, because we imported this oak from Italy. My wife had asked <laughs> later on that. I won't go there about the washing machine. Anyhow. One minute. Oh, you already ruined that. <laughs> Is there a church service after? There is a church service. I got a minute. All right. Uh, I laid on the floor that night. I didn't even sleep in the bed. I literally laid on Italian oak. 
Because in here, I had closed my eyes and I saw a new image of me in my used F-150 Ford. But now I closed my eyes and I saw myself in a Bentley. And here, it's really uncomfortable. I'm laying on my back next to the fireplace saying, Lord, I would never take this apartment, but what we prayed for a jacuzzi and high-speed internet. I don't know how to get out of this. So I'm convinced this is you, but I think you're crazy. Because <laughs> how am I going to do $5,000 a month? There had to be a stretching of image. Are, are you following me? So the first thing is I ask the Lord for mercy. I'm going to say yes. My partners are going to say, huh? Because right at that time, I'm bringing in about 1200 a, a month. I don't have 5000 a month. So the next day I went to lunch with him, and when we sat there, and he said, you know, and he, and he had a girlfriend by this time, and she had a boy who's about 10 years old who had had a cleft palate, and, and doctors without borders think that's what it's called, or no, Operation Smile. From, from Virginia Beach had gone and done an operation on him. She literally, when she brought the child home from the, the hospital, the doctor said, uh, you know, just, just leave him under a tree in the park. That's what they told her to do. Well, Operation Smile did an operation on him and he has a normal smile and he's a nice young boy. And here's Derek at lunch, not his boy, his girlfriend's boy. And he says, you know, I just feel like you're a missionary. Maybe I could pay back. He said, let's cut this in half instead of five. Let's go 25. And I'm like, thank you, Operation Smile. <laughs> Amen? So now my faith, and for, for the year we were there, we were able to pay him that $2,500 a month. But I'm telling you what it did. <laughs> Our house payment with seven acres of land was like $500 a month. I went from that to paying rent. But it was worth it because God took my spirit and He enlarged my faith. God wants to do that. Let's stand up. Thank you, Lord. We're a minute overdue. That's Terry's fault. Lord, forgive her. <laughs> Lord, we're going to follow those who receive. And not only that, some people are going to follow us. And we thank you that what we've learned, like, like, like poor beggars, while we're going to turn around and help some other poor beggars get a little bit further down the road. Father, we thank you that our faith has been stirred up, our vision has been increased. We bless you for it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, one way we love God is by loving on one another downstairs. So let's all go fellowship, and we'll make an opportunity for the, the church. Good morning, everybody. How are we all doing today? <laughs> give you a second to quit this fellowship so that we can enter into the next fellowship. Amen. Amen. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I look forward every week. It's just like, oh boy, I get to come to God's house. I get to worship. Amen. And I was reading the psalm earlier. It said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, which are... See, some of you forgot. It was just like, oh, no. 
It's a test. <laughs> he forgives all our sins and he gets rid of all our sicknesses. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your promises. I thank you that you remove sin from us and that you take away all sicknesses from us, God. This is your promise to us and we thank you for it. We bless you, God. Regardless of what goes on around us, we purpose in our hearts to bless you, God. To speak well of you, to lift you up, to give you the glory and the honor due your name. Amen. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, God. Glory to you. someone, shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love on somebody, tell them your name, ask theirs, Jesus is here, love is here, hallelujah. communion next. Yes, we are. Praise the Lord. Yes. I did not. Well, I got one from Paul. But your hug's good too. <laughs> the Lord's so good. 
We're going to receive communion today, so why don't we just uh, quickly do that as far as uh, come forward and receive the elements. What I'd like to do is ask by row by row, we'll start here on... Oh, 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 let's wait, children, wait, 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 come back, come back, come back, I'm sorry. Come back, come back. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to dismiss the children after communion. Amen. Why don't we just start right here? And uh, we're going to worship a little bit more while people come forward. Just come on up and Paul will serve you. Hold both the elements, the bread and the, the wine or juice until uh, we all can receive together. Just come by row by row. Makes it easier to, uh, to do that. Probably wise if we go out this way, loop back around. Yeah, that'll work. different people over the years tell me well pastor I, I just didn't feel right to receive communion uh, things in my life aren't right so I, 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 I refrained I want to encourage you there's no greater place to get things right than the communion table that if there's some sin hanging around that you need to address do it with the power of the blood of Jesus do it at the communion table. When we, when we receive His blood, uh, it represents His blood. Pray the prayer that you would pray on your knees. When you confess your sin, ask the Lord to pardon. Believe me, when you confess it isn't when He found out about it. He, he knows about your state better than you. Always rely on the Holy Spirit to lead you, to take you by the hand and lead you into the throne room of God. Where there's pardon, where there's grace, where there's mercy. You know, that's really the simplest way you can define 
between ungodly condemnation and spiritual conviction. There is a difference. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, as I said, is when God will take you by the hand and lead you into His presence. But whenever you feel something pushing you away, whenever you feel something as a barrier, a blockage, a brick wall, something that makes you not want to be with God's people, something that makes you not want to talk to that believer on the phone, something that makes you not want to go to church, something that makes you not want to receive communion, that's condemnation, friends. That's when the devil's trying to push you away from that which you need, which is him. Amen. Learn to run to Jesus. Come boldly, the Bible says. Come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy. A lot of people says, will think, well, I can't be bold because there's sin in my life. No, he said, come boldly to receive mercy. Well, you don't need mercy if there's not anything wrong. But you need mercy and grace when something's wrong, right? So even when things are wrong, even when you're at your worst, that's when you need to be the boldest. That's when you need to remind yourself, I remember my Jesus. Just like the prodigal son said, I remember my father. What am I doing eating pig slop? What am I doing working for these wages? Servants in my father's house receive more. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to daddy. And he ran back to his father. And what did the father do? He got up off that porch, saw his son in the distance. And the Bible says God ran. The father ran to his son. And he put a robe around his, his shoulders. He put a ring on his fingers. He killed the fatted calf. And then he said what? Let's party. <laughs> For my son that was dead is alive again. So always, always remember when you have that sense of something pushing you away or keeping you from the Lord, friend, you just identified the devil. You just identified the devil. Put your foot on his neck and step on up into the kingdom of God. Come running to the throne. Receive mercy. Find grace to help. There's nothing that should keep us from the communion table. His body was broken for us that we might be healed. Isaiah 53 clearly tells us that it's by His stripes we are healed. His blood was shed that we might be forgiven, saved, redeemed, bought. Amen. And that blood was shed that we might rejoice. So we're going to put that robe on our shoulders today, the robe of righteousness. We're going to put that ring on today, the authority of the name of Jesus. And we're going to party. Amen. Has everyone been served? Except for me, I guess. Praise the Lord. Well, Father, in the name of Jesus, we come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace and to help in time of need. And we do so, Lord, our time of need, we do so as we fellowship with you because, Father, you're all we need. Hallelujah. Thank you for sending your son. Jesus, thank you for laying down your life. You said your body was broken for us. We take this today for us, for the healing of our diseases. In Jesus' name, go and take and eat. Hallelujah. Now we declare in the name of Jesus, this body, speaking of this house, this church, this body, 
that God indwells is a healed body. This body's a healed body. There's no cancer in this body in Jesus' name. There's no sickness, no disease in Jesus' name. There's no room for these things in this body. Hallelujah. Amen. And he also, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the covenant. It's the new covenant cut in my blood. Amen. For the remission of your sins. So take and be free. Father, forgive me of all sin and unrighteousness. I, I thank you for it. And I'm covered by the blood today. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. You know, one day when we got lots of extra robes from a player or something, we ought to have communion and put a robe on everybody's back. We ought, we ought to give everybody a ring. Glory to God. Amen. Let's stand up and celebrate just a little bit. You can pass the cups to the center. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and give out a shout. I'm healed in Jesus' name. I'm forgiven. I'm redeemed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Glory to God. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. Well, now as you're seated, we'll let the children go to Children's Church. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, as hot as it's been, isn't it good? Every once in a while, just jump in a shower and get a fresh shower. You just feel so good. That's how I feel when I go before the Lord and, and, and spend time with Him and, and repent of sin and get all that gunk out of your life and get back into the freshness of His Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, ask Kelly to come forward and, and receive the offering as well as share some announcements. Before you do that, I want to pray. Let's all pray. I just saw Pastor Sid and Jen's picture right here. Lord, we just lift up Pastor Sidney and Jen and, and all the children and their travels. We thank you that they are blessed today wherever they are. There's no distance in the spirit. We thank you, Lord, if he's preaching this morning, he'll preach on fire. We thank you that that word will impact lives. People will be saved, healed, set free, and delivered in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, we thank you the angels of God are about them and bring them home safely. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, praise the Lord. Welcome to Church of the Word. We're so excited to have you with us this morning. Pastor Sid and Jen send their love. Um, I talked to him this morning real briefly, and he is actually preaching this morning via Zoom to Larry Mills' church in Turkey. So um, that's what they are doing this morning. Um, they'll be traveling back this week, so pray for them for safe travels. Um, we've been traveling a lot this month, too, and I have to say there is no place like home. Um, it's great to go, but it's great to come back and be with family and like-minded believers. So if you are here for the first time, we would like to extend a warm welcome. If you could just raise your hand if you're here for the very first time. And our ushers, do we have any first-time guests? No? We're all family. Amen. All right. Um, if you are giving by cash and you need an envelope, please lift up your hand and our ushers will bring you an envelope. You can make checks out to Church of the Word or CWI. And if you're giving by credit card, please make sure to fill out all the blanks on the cash envelope. 
All right, as we prepare to give cheerfully to the Lord this morning, I'm just going to read from 2 Corinthians 9-7. It says, So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. One of the things um, the Lord has been showing me a lot about recently is my perspective on things. And the scriptures, it's a position of your heart. You know, it's in, it's in a Christian, to, Christian heart to be a giver. And really, it's a not I have to, it's an I get to. It's a privilege to be a giver. Um, the more that you're in fellowship with God and relationship with Jesus, the more your heart becomes giving anyways. Um, so to have that perspective this morning that as you're giving your tithes and offerings unto the Lord, that it's a privilege to be able to give that you have something to give. And this goes for the area of our finances as well. So take your tithes and your offerings and let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. You are such a good, good Father. As we sang this morning and and many of the songs, uh, you are good. And we thank you, Father, for the things that you've given us the provisions you've given us, that we can give back unto you. So, Father, we bless all of these cheerful givers here this morning. We thank you, Father, for multiplying their finances and that they are blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the ushers can pass the baskets and the people will give unto the Lord.